Have you ever had one of those experiences that kind of stops you in your tracks? Someone says something and you have that kind of head jerk reaction? I think we've all had that back in March, didn't we? When the governor came out and, and the president and they said, we're going to shut the schools down. We're going to have to shut the nursing homes down and the hospitals. You're not going to be able to go and visit and so many other things. And we had to stop and say, what did you... What did they just say? Am I hearing this correctly? Well, this happened one day to the disciples. As they were walking along, the Bible indicates here in Matthew 24 that they had just uh, really been around the temple, coming out of the temple, and Jesus here uh, says something that really stuns them. It's a bright and a sunny day, maybe. And, and this temple, i got to tell you, is an incredible thing. I've got a picture of it where about 40 or so of us here just about a year ago this month were standing on the other side of the world there at the teaching steps of Jesus. This temple is an incredible thing. Uh, you know, it, it, it was just mesmerizing as you're standing there in this very spot, these teaching steps. And this temple is one of the ancient wonders of the world. I mean, it was made of white marble. It was overlaid with gold so bright that you could probably hardly even look at it on a sunny day. The foundation stones of the temple were enormous. Some of them were 40 feet long, 18 feet high. They weighed over 100 tons each. And it's one of those wonders of the world. They all fit this together perfectly, an astonishing feat. And they came by this temple, and the disciples here were acting like tourists. I remind you here, these disciples, they were from other places outside of Jerusalem here. They were fishermen from the Galilean region. And Jesus makes this kind of almost offhanded comment to this group. You see this temple here? Pretty soon, not one stone is going to be left standing on the other. And this had to have been draw-jopping. I mean, it captured their attention very quickly. It stopped them in their tracks. Jesus had said something that was so stunning and so incredible. Their entire world must have been turned upside down. To them, the temple was the place of God. This was the home of the Lord. This was the center for them. And you're telling me that not one stone is going to be left standing on another? Now, Jesus here was reminding the disciples of something I think we need to be reminded of again in our day, something of critical importance, and that is you cannot find the right foundation anywhere in the world that's not going to crumble. He was telling them, even as great and impressive as this temple is, there are lots of things in the world that are going to seem like they will never decay. But he says, everything changes. And of course, we know that Jesus' words were fulfilled as the temple indeed was destroyed later on in A.D. 70. The disciples here, as this story continues in Matthew 24, pose another question to Jesus. And it's an incredible question. Probably we all would have been asking, well, Lord, when are these things going to take place? And even more, they say, Lord, tell us about the sign of your coming. You've talked about that before. What, what are the signs of the end of the age? And frankly, I have to say to you, this is one of the most forgotten truths of the Bible these days. 
It's interesting today that you hear very little, it seems, from many churches about this doctrine that is uh, part of our Christian faith of Jesus coming again. The traditional view of the church is that Jesus will return at the end of the age to establish his kingdom and to bring judgment. And this is also one of these doctrines that we find where we're prone to a lot of misinterpretation. But there's a great deal of attention that has been placed on the end of the world in recent times. In the last 20 years or so, we've seen the, the Y2K madness and, and we see the doomsday preppers. We find the uh, panic rooms being erected and places like that. We see people stockpiling food and the movie theaters and, and things on TV are filled with this kind of, of talk these days. The movie that came out uh, 2012 and the Mayan calendar and, and, and the purge and so many other popular movies uh, out there today talking about the end times. In fact, medieval specialists I read that say that over the last 30 years, more scholarship has been devoted to apocalypse than in all the other 300 years combined. But every generation, I want to remind you, since the first century church has held to this doctrine that one of these days Jesus is coming, just like we had the Advent season that we just came through and we celebrated the coming of Christ, the Bible also speaks that Jesus is coming again. Do you know one out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentions the subject of Jesus' return? In fact, about one quarter of the Bible is prophetic in nature. In the New Testament, there are 27 books. There are 216 chapters. And four of those 27 New Testament books, you know, fail to mention the return of Christ. Although the one does infer the coming of the Lord. Over 320 references you can find in the New Testament to the coming of Jesus. For every prophecy concerning the first coming of Christ, there are eight concerning his second coming. So this is obviously one of the, one of the great truths of the scripture. And it's a topic that does command our attention for it's well covered throughout the Bible, even including the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, it plays a particular importance upon the minds of the New Testament writers. So people here over the last few weeks and months as this pandemic has unfolded, as all the things we've been seeing in this bizarre kind of world these days, people have been saying, Pastor, is this the end? Is this the last days? With the pandemic, the pestilence, terrorism and riots, the cultural strife and apostasy in the greater church, and I think we all have to acknowledge in this day so many people are falling away. And the church is growing cold. In fact, this uh, past few months, I saw uh, an alarming statistics that more people today believe in the devil than they do in, in Jesus. So we're in a new series as we embark on this year together that we're calling Living Ready. And regardless of where you're at right now, regardless of your perspectives, it's how can we live as we face these challenges as we go through times of suffering, as we confront persecution and pain and difficult times. You know, we're not in this world to be a survivalist, but to be a revivalist. 
And that is we are not to live as long as we can in this world as people with no hope at all. Just trying to cling on to living in this world like there's no tomorrow for us. But instead, we are to know Jesus and walk with Jesus and make a difference for Jesus in this world. In fact, that is my prayer that each of us would know Jesus this year. That we would really know Jesus and, and that we would dive into the Bible and have that fervent relationship with God. This is a time that we all ought to reevaluate life and what it really means and, and how we can be better people, how we can know hope and have joy in our hearts by knowing Jesus. Now, the best place I find to begin as we think about these words here that uh, uh, Luke has read to us today, Matthew 24, and to think about this doctrine is really to begin with the place where Jesus is talking about it. And Matthew, I think, more than any of the other Gospels, really spells this out well here in Matthew 24. Maybe better than Mark 13 or Luke 21. Jesus is sitting here at the Mount of Olives, another place where some of us were standing just about a year ago overlooking Jerusalem. And the disciples, they have been thinking about those words that Jesus shared. And, and they say, well, tell us, Lord, when is all this going to happen? And when is the sign of your coming again? What will be the sign of the end? I think it's important to understand here what Jesus is conveying in this text. Some of the signs here he's talking about perhaps refer to the temple's destruction, but then other signs here are talking about the end of the age. And the biggest thing to remember here, I believe, is to note what Jesus says here in places like verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And that is the reality Jesus acknowledges of this, this coming. Jesus here clearly indicates this, just like he did on several other occasions. In fact, if you go back in the Bible, uh, John 14, just before his death and resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. In another location, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, there you find the angels comforting the disciples. And, and they said, well, why do you stand here gazing upward? This same Jesus that you see go away is coming again in like manner. New Testament writers continue to go forth and echo this same thought. We just had a Bible study in 1 Thessalonians. And there in chapter 4, it indicates that Jesus himself will descend with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so the great truth is that Jesus acknowledges here one of these days he's coming back. And Jesus is coming today, I want to say, regardless of whether you want to think about it or dwell upon it, or whether you want to be marginalized or ostracized, it behooves us today to be ready, to be living a life fitting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reminder that I really want to underscore in this series. The truth is, one of these days, we're going to have to give an account of our life. Now, I want to say that being ready doesn't mean we all need to start stockpiling food and 
uh, putting weapons up in the mountains and wrapping ourselves in bedsheets and setting on the rooftops and quitting our jobs. No, but rather it's being completely sold out to Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis here in this text, to be ready to testify, regardless of what comes into your life, that you know Jesus, that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, it's obvious from the Bible that the first century church and those writers in the first century, they believe firmly in the coming of Christ. Places like in 2 Peter chapter 2 and 3, uh, they believe firmly that Christ is coming. They say in the last days there will be scoffers. There's going to be mockers and people who laugh and say, well, where is the promise of his coming? Jesus talked about that, but we don't see any hide nor hair of him. But he said, let not that deter you, for this is merely another sign that Jesus will come. And it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if we could say to you on a certain day, at a particular hour, that Jesus was going to come. Uh, if, wouldn't that be marvelous? We could do everything we could to get everybody ready. If Jesus had just told us on a next Tuesday or next Wednesday in this particular time that Jesus was going to come. And there have been those who have prognosticated and forecasted and they've set dates. But they've only proven their ignorance for Jesus said in places like Mark 13 that only the Heavenly Father knows when the end of the age is. But the truth is Jesus acknowledged here the reality of his coming. And although we cannot know the day and we cannot know the hour, all throughout the Bible we are repeatedly told to be on the alert, to be on guard, to be ready. I want to make myself clear today because I'm not saying we only have a few days left. I'm not saying this pandemic is here and, and Jesus is coming back. We just uh, He's coming back next week. I'm, I'm not saying he, he's coming back in sometime here later on this year. I'm just simply saying that one of these days the scripture is going to be fulfilled and Jesus is going to return. You know, have you ever been to the Biltmore Hotel? It almost looks like a hotel, but it's this fancy, large mansion in Asheville, North Carolina. It is very impressive, this largest private home in America. I'm told when William Cecil, who owned it, he used to go through the estate almost every day, I'm told, making sure every detail was covered, that everything was in the right place and it was ready to receive guests. And I'm also told that when he left one area, employees would get on their walkie-talkies and on their radios and warn the other employees, their friends, that he was coming to their room. And Jesus is telling some important information here, some parables, if you will, that make the same point. That one of these days, this scripture is going to be fulfilled and you need to be ready. A second thing that I would note out of this text here is the rapid nature, if you will, of this kind of event. And it's going to characterize the coming of Christ here very clearly. Perhaps the most striking feature of all of this text is this quickness with which the end will come. And Jesus will come back. There's a lot of scripture about this. Matthew here, verse 44, Therefore you too must be ready, because the Son of Man will return when you least expect him. Jesus is going to come, he says here, at a most unexpected time, at an unannounced time, very abruptly, very suddenly. 2 Corinthians 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. Revelation 16.15, Behold, I come as a thief, blessed is he that watches. 
Luke 12, 40. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Jesus will come suddenly. Without warning, faster the Bible says than the twinkling of an eye. And somebody's figured out it's only about one-fifth of a second or so that it takes to bat your eye. And the scripture goes on to expound on this in places like 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Or as Jesus said, as quickly as the, the lightning will shine from the east into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Or even again in Paul's writings in that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. As quickly as a flash of lightning or the twinkling of an eye. You know, scientists, as I say, have computed that it only takes about 150th or so of a second to blink an eye. And that a person on average sometimes can blink about 25 times a minute. And so if you're driving a car, a motorist driving at about 55 miles an hour, uh, well, on a 10-hour trip, about 33 miles or so, you're going to have your eyes closed. And, you know, i got to tell you, this is what we want to underscore here today, that there's all kinds of things this world is going to dish out. There's trouble, there's hardship, there's persecution. And you know what? At the end of the day, you need to live for Christ. You need to know Christ. Give your life to Christ. The plan is though Christ were not coming for 10 years, but live as though Christ is coming in the next 10 seconds. But not only the reality of his coming and the rapid nature of how everything is going to happen, but then lastly, notice with me the results of what is going to take place. In verse 46, that the servant will be blessed if his master finds him doing his job when he comes. You know, the purpose of the coming of Christ is that Jesus completes what was first started there on the cross, his redemption. And Jesus was raised from the dead as the forerunner of our very own resurrection. And death and sin will be finally conquered and the dead in Christ will be raised and I have found in the middle of this pandemic, one of the best ways to really overcome the discouragement is to be reminded of this wonderful truth that Jesus is coming again. You know, this is one of the best ways that we can reflect here in these days is to know at the end of the day, Jesus wins. And Jesus directs, I want to say, his disciples here, in fact, away from the endings and toward new beginnings. I mean, in, in seminary, and, and many of you know, the term that a lot of people use is the word, this eschaton or eschatology, which is a study of the last things. But in a way, if you stop and think about it here, what Jesus is talking about is saying, hey, disciples, don't worry so much about the signs and, and, and these things that are going to happen at the end, but realize it's the beginning of victory, the establishment of this kingdom coming to fruition. Jesus is coming back and he wins. And you know what, friends? We need to live like it. So resist the urge to despair in the current state of affairs and join the early church by confidently confessing, you know what, Jesus is coming now, I know some of you are preparing right now to participate in the flying pig, whatever that's going to look like. And I have been down to the flying pig and taking place in, in the spring there in the, in the May time. Frame. 
And I know some of you are training. You know, I participated in a race like that years ago, and I was doing all kind of preparation. And, and it wasn't a complete marathon, but it was a, maybe a 10K race. But I heard an expert talking about running a marathon. And he said, you know, you can really only train well for about 20 miles and really, really train and equip yourself to run a 20-mile run. But he said that last six miles, you don't know what you're going to be facing. You don't know what kind of problems your body is going to start presenting, whether you have muscle cramps or whether you hit kind of a wall or you have this incredible thirst or, or maybe you've hurt your ankle. You just don't know what you're going to endure and you know, in some way, I think as we read Matthew 24 here, we're really talking about the last six miles, aren't we, of a marathon. As you read this passage here, it's like reading about this kind of endurance you're going to need. You know it's going to be hard. You know there's really nothing you can do to replicate the things that you're going to face. But Jesus has told us what to look for, but he said even more to be prepared. Prepare by being wise, by resting in the fact that God is sovereign. Prepare by refusing to allow yourself to buy into the lies that this old world gives us. And prepare by praying each day for God's strength to face the challenges that we confront. I want to pray for you now. I know so many of you know people who have gotten ill. I know people who have lost their jobs. I know we're all hurting as we are just so anxious to, to get back to our lives and to come together here uh, at the church. And, and there's so much concern. But you know what? I want to say to you the most important thing today is that you come to Jesus, that you accept Christ into your life. What a blessing and a life that's full of joy. And so let us pray. Almighty God, I just pray today for all of those that are joining us in this time of worship. And we know there are so many challenges, so many problems, so many things out there that are causing anxiety. But Lord, we just want to rest in you today. And I pray for those who have never accepted you truly as their Savior. I know there's people, Lord, that need to hear this invitation today. And I pray right now that in this venue that your spirit would just reach out and touch hearts and that people would say yes to you, confess their sins, and follow after you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.